Hey everyone, it's Don. Welcome to episode nine of the podcast. Uh, first, I'm going to apologize for the unexpected gap since the last episode. I was doing some traveling and just didn't manage to get finished what I needed to. Uh, as I mentioned in Nathan's episode, being your own boss can be a double-edged sword. In this case, I'm going to let myself slide and hope you've just been eagerly awaiting this episode. Uh, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Don't Worry I'm Finite for updates, photos, and the next giveaway, which is coming this week. My guest today is Benedict Brain, a fellow photographer, creator, and world traveler whom I met while working on cruise ships. Ben actually gave me the opportunity to work as a photography instructor on board, which was honestly the best job I've ever had. Uh, we try to curb our instinct to talk about gear and nerdy stuff too much, but we had a great chat about the global shutdown affecting our travel lives as well as our creative pursuits and careers. Uh, we get into finding our photographic voice, making photography personal yet accessible, and how forced boundaries can actually be of great use for creativity. Let's get right into it. Welcome to Don't Worry, I'm Finite. I'm your host, Don McAvoy. Today, I'm talking with Benedict Brain. Let's go. I'm Ben, and don't worry, I'm Finite. All right, everybody, welcome to Don't Worry, I'm Finite, the podcast where we dive into inspiration, motivation, and an exploration of the creative community. I'm coming at you from the ever-moving studio here in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Don, and I'm here with my friend Ben today. Hi, Don. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm calling in from uh, Bath in the southwest of the United Kingdom, so a little bit of a drizzly summer out there, so probably very different from uh, Flagstaff. It's actually exactly what it's like right now. It's we're at seven thousand oh, right. okay. feet. It's cold and raining outside, so <laughs> um, okay. we're on the same wavelength as far as uh, climate goes at the moment. Good stuff. Yeah, it's always so. We're always having fun working with uh, with time zones and figuring out where. Yeah. The only difference is it's uh, not not even nine in the morning here. So and you're okay, yeah. going into evening now. Yeah, coming up to five o'clock. I'll, yeah. I'll go for a run after this. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I, I should do that as well. But I have less uh, motivation to do that when it's raining. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So you you know, it's it's funny, I was thinking about this, I thought, it feels like we've known each other for a long time. And there's this definite thing on uh, we met each other on a cruise ship. Uh, yeah. where we were both working on, at, on a cruise ship in different, uh, different capacities. But we got we got along very well right away. And we had a mutual Absolutely, friend in Julieta. Yeah. And it's there's this thing on cruise ships that you you get into relationships very quickly and you meet people that you really enjoy being around and then you spend all your time with those people <laughs> and it feels like this like old relationship you have with people and it's a great feeling um but you know it's kind of hard to maintain those things when you all go back to your respective countries and get on different ships yeah basically how how have you been doing over the last couple couple years with with that well yeah, I mean, it's been an interesting couple of years as, as, as we, I mean, both know we had quite a lot of eggs in a, in a cruise ship basket. Yes. Which went a bit pear-shaped uh, with, <laughs> with the lockdown of the entire industry. So, yeah, so there's been a, a lot of sort of reinvention for me, uh, as, I, as I know there has been for you too, of, uh, mm -hmm. you know, finding my feet and, um, you know, recalibrating my sort of life you know, broadly doing uh, very similar sort of so similar activities, but um, and, and a lot of it locked in a, in a room um, and a, and a computer and Zoom, um, yeah. rather than traveling the world. And the only positive thing I think I can say is, but my carbon footprint has been uh, exemplary for the last eighteen months. <laughs> well, that's a very optimistic way of looking at how at how COVID <laughs> has affected <laughs> the world. Yeah. Um, I was talking to my friend Nate the other day about how as as kind of artists and people who are interested in a lot of things we have a lot of irons in the fire like we always have a lot of different things going so i think we had kind of a unique uh, ability to kind of land on our feet and figure out continue figuring out other ways to push our creativity and continue working somehow and um what have you what have you been working on over the past uh, year or so well, I mean, I suppose you, you can split it into a couple of things. There's, there's one that's been trying to reconcile my income, mm -hmm. uh, uh, which I, I make through, you know, photography and, and writing. 
uh, or writing about photography. So, mm-hmm. so you know, I suppose my creative life has has two two facets. So, you know, uh, in in creating an income, I've you know the photography enrichment that you and I were working with uh, on the cruise lines. I mean, a lot of that has migrated to running Zoom-based workshops, mm-hmm. um, which has actually been really interesting. I mean, it's not, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's it, there's many frustrations, but actually with a few little teething error, you know, teething problems to sort out. Actually, it's actually quite a good way of delivering content. Um, I did a lot of them for the Royal Photographic Society, um, mm. which is a prestigious uh, organization here in the UK uh, and the rest of the world, actually. So I did some one-day workshops and some sort of part workshops a couple of hours a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually was able to explore ideas in a, in a very different way. Um, and some were quite surprising. So weirdly, I mean, I was almost messing around, but one of my most successful um, workshops was one called Monsters, Myths and Metaphors, mm-hmm. <laughs> which... Uh, it was quite a difficult, I mean, I, I thought, I almost said it as a bit of a joke in a way, but actually, you know, we have a small bunch of people online, we developed through sort of critical discussion, creative feedback and so forth. Um, participants were developing a small body of work over four weeks and we just met for a couple of hours a week and actually that worked really well on Zoom. Hmm. And then a couple of one-day workshops and you sort of think, oh, crikey, uh, you know, a seven-hour workshop on Zoom is, how you know, but actually dividing it up into, you know, two sort of three-hour sessions with, you know, an hour of sort of inspirational talk, a a small little exercise which is designed for people to be able to do relatively easily within their home and then Mm -hmm. a a sort of conversation with those images which are all taken on mobile phones and stuff like that. Actually, you can create quite an interesting um, experience um, photographically and and the feedback I've had has been very positive. You know, a lot of these workshops have had participants from, you know, all over the world, uh, um, albeit sometimes on different time zones. But it's sure. it's, it's actually um, given me, uh, in, in a sense, a lot wider audience. Um, yeah. I mean, some workshops I do are, are, are destination specific. So, you know, rocking up and photographing a, a mountain in North Wales is not possible. Uh, right. And those destination type <laughs> workshops I, I can't run. But ones that are more conceptual in nature that aren't destination specific are actually arguably slightly better. So, so that's that's been good, and that's, you know it's been a bit of a financial lifeline. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, as you know, I used to work with consumer. I used to edit consumer magazines. Um, it's a sort of full time job. So, yeah. as a freelancer, I, I've I've fallen back on a little bit of writing about photography as well for consumer consumer photography magazines. So that, yeah, that's I'm doing the same over here. Except for blogs now. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so f- I guess f- economically that that's that's really how I've been sort of cobbling um, bits and bobs together. Mm-hmm. Um, with my own kind of creative practice, uh, it's kind of weird. I, I was really sort of feeding off the international travel uh, and, um, you know, as we, as I think we all were in, in that world. And, um, you know, I had a good, a good couple of years of really, sort of finding my voice um, photographically while I was traveling. And so it was naturally disappointing when that, when that kind of came to an end. But actually, I think um, sometimes these enforced boundaries can be quite useful. Um, Definitely. I know I have done some workshops for some other people around, um, around the creative process. And I remember sort of thinking about, you know, how, how do you teach creativity in, in, a, in a relatively short workshop? And the more I started thinking about my process, talking to other photographers, other creatives, artists, you know, whatever, and sort of reading about it, I, actually the sort of creativity, I kind of, the, the workshop I was putting together came, kind of started words like accountability, boundaries, discipline, mm-hmm. sort of started, started creeping into my presentations. And I was like, this is not, a, this doesn't sound like a creative, a creative artistic course it sounds like a, a corporate thing i'm, like I'm talking about course, yeah. you know yeah like a, like yeah um I'm, I'm talking about uh kind of humdrum things but actually you know actually i think deadlines accountability uh, and boundaries are actually a really useful part of the of the creative process 
I know when I studied photography, you know, you, you, you're, you know, you're accountable to your tutors and to your peers and you have right. crits and you have assignments and, and then you graduate and kind of nobody gives a hoop what you, what you do when you do it. And suddenly you're, you're kind of at a bit of a loss. It takes a while to recalibrate. So in a sense, I mean, in a sense, to try and find some positives, uh, I've, um, you know, I've had quite a few little projects which have evolved out, out of being restricted in, in you know, geographically. Um, I certainly explored my, my local area, you know, within a couple of hours car ride from, from where I live. I've got to know that area, you know, a lot better and have explored it uh, more thoroughly. Definitely. I, I, I think that it was a big shock for, for both of us and for many, so many people going from the travel industry, being in a different, waking up in a different country every day, basically, and then going to, well, I have to explore my very small hometown that doesn't really have any of those like facets of the, the touristic industry that we were working in. Yeah. And I'd, I've been thinking about that a lot, about boundaries a lot lately. And I think I've always kind of thought that boundaries are a good thing to have in your work because if you're boundless, then you have, you know, it's hard for me as a, as an artist to focus in. So giving myself a topic, whether it be a style of photography or a subject or a word or an idea that really helps me hone in on something and really like look at it in a different way. And I think that's also, that's one of the things that we got to talking about right away is like the themes and the philosophy behind photography and our, and work like that, that's, that we've kind of clicked on. So, uh, having like meaning and story behind an image is a bigger thing. So looking at one image for longer in a time when we scroll past images very quickly on Instagram and double click them and move on without examining them, it's nice to have the idea, you know, it's nice to have something like when you write about your images, uh, to really like sit back and spend some time with it and yeah, realize why like some of the mundane images might be even more interesting than those grand landscapes that I love to photograph, you know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I mean, I really, I mean, I feel as landscape in particular is something because a lot of the people that I speak to, uh, and run workshops with are, are typically quite drawn to the, the sort of epic landscapes. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things I try to do is to, to sort of quieten it down a little bit. And, 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 and I suppose one of the nice, um, things about the lockdown is those geographic boundaries. I live in a very photogenic city, um, mm-hmm. But I, I don't, in terms of landscape, it's quite unexciting, really. And it's beautiful, but it's unexciting. Right. It, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't excite me photographically. But over, over the last couple of years, I kind of started exploring it and become much more attuned to, uh, to the subtle nuances of, of change. One of the things that I sort of started playing around with quite early on was um, there's a writer, I think he's a 17th century French writer called Xavier de Maistre, who mm-hmm. um, uh, he wrote a book called A Journey Around My Room. And um, it was a slightly tongue-in-cheek sort of satirical book almost where he, I think he was caught in an illegal duel and confined to his apartment for a, for six weeks or something as, as a punishment mm-hmm. for, for taking part in this duel, which I presume he won. He kind of frustrated being confined to his quarters, he decided to write a book. And this, of course, was the time when the great explorers were going off and discovering Inca gold in South America and, you know, stuff all over the world. So in the tradition of these great travel narratives of the time, he wrote about uh, journeys around his room. Uh, and he would sort of explain in sort of exhaustive, epic detail um, the excitement he he experienced moving from you know his pink sofa to the window. Um, but it was done it was done quite well, and it's still in print today. Uh, anyway, so I kind of took the spirit spirit of that and really started trying to explore you know locally, mm-hmm. um, you know my my areas. And I think you know it's it's really easy when. You you know when you and I have been visiting new places, you're 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 on alert. You you're right. you're highly attuned and sensitive to new uh, things that you're seeing around you. But actually, you know, in your in your everyday um, life at home, it's very easy to just be um, just ignore stuff. Um, yeah, uh, you just don't even notice it. So just recalibrating and rethinking. Uh, in that in that way, I think can be a really useful part of the process. 
Definitely. And yeah, it, it is easy to take for granted the things that are right in your backyard. Like I, I, when I went back to New Jersey after being on the ship, I was first a little, you know, depressed and confused, not really sure what to do. And then I started to find yeah. these trails and these places that I had never been on that were, you know, a few miles from where I lived all my life. So I was finding new things. And as far as photos go, I started like getting into like macro kind of stuff looking at blades of grass and dew drops and all that kind of stuff. So instead of like backing up and looking at the full landscape, you know, mountain scene of Glacier Bay, I was looking at the grass in the backyard and it, you know, it rewired what I was, you know, what I was attuned to looking for. And you talk about a lot of this stuff in your column uh, in the magazine, the art of seeing. Yeah. So you talk about like a lot of your local stuff, like the, the underpass in your, that you run under right, often yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And so can you talk a little bit about your column and how that evolved and what you try to do with that? Yeah, well, the column evolved really, uh, I mean, in a sense it evolved because I was editing the magazine and I, I, I tended my notice and wanted to have a nice little gig to to, to take with me. Um, so I, I, I kind of got this column. But what was nice, I've been writing for magazines for, I don't know, 15 years or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I very rarely wrote about my own pictures. Uh, if, you know, for anyone that's not familiar, you know, consumer magazines tend to be very focused on, on, on how to take pictures, um, very sort of technical focused or camera review focused, which is fine. But um, I've always been slightly more interested, probably because of my sort of art school education in why I take photos. So the idea of the art of seeing column kind of came about where I would just take a picture, uh, usually something from, you know, that's relatively current. Um, sometimes I might dig deeper into my archive, mm-hmm. but usually something pretty current and I would write about that. Uh, but I would talk about why I had taken it rather than how I had taken it. So it was less about f-stops and shutter speeds and more about sort of concept and um, and ideas. Uh, and, you know, that's it wasn't sort of, you know, it's not deeply intellectual i think there's um you know but it's it's just a little bit more considered in that way as to why uh why i've taken a picture and and in fact even the act of writing it has been really useful um Mm -hmm. because i mean despite writing all the time i very rarely wrote about my own pictures uh in that way and in fact thinking about pictures and what i'm going to say has really i mean i've i think i've just done about my 45th or something so i must have been doing it for a few years now oh wow and actually, it has that has really informed my my kind of creative process, just sitting down and writing, writing about it, which is an interesting discipline in itself, and and one that I quite often advise people to do when I'm doing workshops is to write about their photography. In that in that way, it's a really good place to sort of start. Definitely, having the self examination is always you know it's important for self-growth as well but i mean when you examine why it's easy to go into reflex mode of like i see something it looks like a looks like a picture i want to take and you snap it yeah you don't really think that much about it especially since we have such easy access to camera on our phones so we we can just snap a picture of it move on and then you know 20 pictures later we'll forget that's even in our camera roll so actually taking some time with it probably hones your skills a little differently so when you're out there looking for things you start seeing things without even realizing that you're, you know, that that's what's happening. And then you're going to frame it a different way or look at something differently and then frame up that photograph and come up with something that's going to give people a little more meaning, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And and you start to develop, you know, that way you start to develop your, your own voice and your own way of looking. And also when you kind of confined or, or, or restricted as we have been maybe in the last a couple of years, uh, and you're maybe photographing more in sort of banal, humdrum situations. When you do find yourself in those sort of more exotic locations, I think you approach them differently as well because you've you've kind of retrained your eye. You found your own voice photographically mm-hmm. or, or visually or, or whatever your discipline is. But you, you know, it's, it's, you can find your own voice that way because of those boundaries. And so you don't you don't find yourself automatically gravitating to the to the honey shop that everybody else has got you 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 maybe find and seek out something that's more in line with your your sense of of place that you you feel when you're there that might not always be the epic shot it might not be the obvious shot it might be something a lot more quietly spoken and i, I often think to myself that I'm, I'm i would be a lot happier if someone 
sees a picture and they they recognize that I took it, but they hate it, would be for <laughs> me is, is a much more satisfying uh, reaction than somebody seeing a shot and absolutely loving it, but having no sense of who, you know, it could have been taken by any one of a number of, you know, competent photographers. Yeah, there's no signature to it. Yeah, for me, it's kind of, it's, it's, you know, what I found coming out of the art of seeing, to get back to your original question, is, is this sort of developing, uh, developing a voice. And the nature of what I do, I have to be fairly, it's a phrase I heard someone say recently, which I think suits, my, suits me quite well, genre fluid. Um, in the, I, you know, because I, I, you know, just the, the world I'm in, I, I, whenever I asks what kind of photographer are you, I never quite know what to say. So I kind of honed in on genre fluid now. I'm going to take that. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I heard it. I think I heard it on radio. It was in the context of a musician talking about her work. Uh, I think it might have been KD Lang. Uh, I think she described herself as genre fluid. And I think um, I, I thought, well, I'd um, appropriate that too, because it suits Definitely. me. Uh, and also things like, like, you know, landscape. I don't like to say that I'm a landscape photographer because of the associations that automatically come with that, that people maybe think that you, you know, you, know, you want to take these epic pictures at dawn. And, and mm -hmm. I don't necessarily, that's not really the vibe I'm channeling. Uh, I mean, half of me doesn't care what anyone thinks, but, you know, uh, but There's at the same time, <laughs> you, you know, at the same time I do. So... There's definitely a little bit of ego that goes into any photography or artwork. I think that is like you want to show yeah, off a of part course. of yourself. You want people to we want people to know us a little bit. But yeah, I I mean I'm I'm definitely I, I still consider myself a landscape photographer, and I still love those epic scenes. And I love part part of it is uh, you know a means to an end. I like to take the photograph, but I also just love being there. I just you know happen to be a photographer with the camera while I'm at these places that I love to be at. Yeah, um, so. Uh, one of the things that I learned pretty quickly is that I was getting a little bored with just shooting the landscapes and kind of being next to other people that are shooting the same thing and showing up for the same sunrise, honey spots, as you said. Um, so one of the things I started doing early was I would step back and if somebody had their phone or a tablet, tablets especially amuse me when people have a giant iPad taking a picture of a sunrise at the Grand Canyon. But I would start, I started to stand back and I would zoom in on their screen. So I would focus on their screen while the while the uh, the actual scene was blurred in the background. And I would make that was a series that I did for a while of just like people's hands holding phones. And, uh, and I really liked how some of those came out because it spoke to the real feeling of being at these places. It's not you don't step in front of someone and then the lens only sees the landscape, it's all these people that are around you taking the same photo at the same time. That's what it really feels like. Yeah, that's lovely to hear. That's exactly how I kind of feel. Um, in fact, I got an example. It's the same. It's a Glacier Bay, um, mm -hmm. you know, when we were on ships and and literally just taking a step back. And, and, and the shot that is when I've stepped back and, you know, you can see a swathe of guests on a ship in on uh, the rail in front of the bay. It's a less glamorous shot. I, I, you know, I had a nice shot that I took of the glacier. Mm -hmm. it, it, it looks fine, but it just looks like probably everybody else's shot that they got. Sure. I, probably slightly better, but only probably because I was taking it with a, you know, a medium format camera rather right. than a smartphone. Right. Um, but the shot when you come back is is when you step back. I think it, for me, it's much more, much more interesting. Um, yeah, that's where the story you know, is. Yeah, that's really is what the story. I, in fact, I use that I use that example quite a lot in some of my workshops, and I I end up talking about um, Robert Adams. Uh, do you know one of the new topographic photographers? Um, mm -hmm. He writes in a in a book called um, Beauty in Photography: Essays in Defense of Traditional Values or something. Anyway, which sounds a bit more heavy than it is. It's a very beautifully written book um, about photography, and he talks about landscape. He talks about landscape photography, and he talks about it having to work in three ways. I think it's uh, geography. Uh, autobiography and metaphor. And he sort of suggests, you know, geography is a record of the place. Um, mm -hmm. Autobiography is, is how you, you know, how you feel about that, your, your sense, of, sense of place. And metaphor, of course, how, how that could take on an alternative meaning. Um, mm -hmm. and, and he, in this, in this really nice essay, suggests that, you know, geography by itself could be a bit boring, which I think is probably what we're alluding to right. with, the, with the epic shots. Um, you know, something that's purely autobiographical could 
possibly be a little bit, um, you know, dull and, you know, unaccessible for anyone that doesn't know the photographer. And mm-hmm. metaphor, you know, could you could kind of get a bit buried up your own backside and sure. become a little bit pretentious or whatever. But he's, he sort of suggests that if you have a little bit of th- each of these three uh, three elements going on, the sort of geography, metaphor and autobiography all sort of coming together, then you can get an image that sort of starts to to work. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I kind of feel like I, I, I have those, that trio of uh, Robert Adams's sort of characteristics on my shoulder when I'm out in a landscape. And I'm kind of thinking to myself, okay, you know, this is the geography, this is the topography, the weather, the light and so forth. This is my record of the shot, but how do I feel about it? How does it resonate with me? Well, how mm-hmm. am I responding to it? What is my sense of place? You know, and then how, what alternative meanings could be attributed to that? And a lot of that you have no control over because everyone's going to bring their own um, meanings to pictures. But I kind of yeah, like, sure. I like to try and get those ingredients into, uh, into a picture if I possibly can. Yeah, and uh, speaking to that specifically, I I think a lot of the music I like is very specifically autobiographical. Where they'll talk about this, you know, Melrose Diner, which is a very specific place in Philadelphia, and like they'll they'd make all these specific references to things that have happened in their life. But then you realize yeah. how universal all this stuff is. So like uh, allowing, you know, making it personal actually allows someone to step into the image and be, make it about themselves and bring their own. Uh, experience to the image. And I think that allows you to have both, like like you were saying. I think a lot of that stuff that, that you mentioned is, you know, I, I'm right there with you as far as honing your skills and finding the small things and finding your own voice allows you to go to those places, whether they're honey spots or not, and take an image that is uniquely yours. So, and I think yeah. that's kind of what we're all, what we're going for here. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, I mean, we work together in a program called Photo Coach that you've, yep. you designed and came up with and, and uh, fostered. And, you know, like you said, with things get cut, the rug got pulled out from under us and when COVID started because the industry went under. But what I got out of that being a, a teacher on, on board was a community. And that's like, that's kind of what I want, what I wanted to do with this project is build that creative community again because you and I both come from art school and when you leave art school you immediately lose this giant community that you had of people to bounce ideas off of people who inspire you people who work together with you on things like that and that's one of the things I've been seeking out ever since I left and finding that in the the job that I was in and finding the photo coach program was amazing and I was able to not only collaborate with you and other photographers on board that we had for EXC, but yep. other photographers that worked on the ships and guests who were there as photographers or aspiring photographers and seeing through their eyes and being able to assist them at showing what, you know, showing what they see was a really uh, inspiring thing for me and really rewarding as a, as a job. And uh, I think you and I have like that in common that I think that we thrive off of community and we we need to work alone as part of our job because that's just how it goes but we we definitely thrive on that community and collaboration so i wanted to talk to you about how how that feels for you and how you uh kind of make that happen in your life how that how that all started well how the photo coach thing started sure i mean basically just you know how how you find artists artistic collaboration how you foster an artistic community and like kind of where you'd like to go with that but yeah as, as far as photo coach goes i'd love to talk about that too yeah um i mean yeah the community thing is it's really it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing trying to kind of find your tribe um mm-hmm. certainly in in my world which is you know the world of photography it's it's so it's so layered there's so many sort of tribes that you can that you can align yourself with. And, and there's a certain part of me which feels like I've never quite found my tribe. I've always felt sort of weirdly, you know, I've, I've kind of been too consumer for the art world because I right. worked in consumer magazines. And then I've been too arty for the consumer magazine because I'm always pushing my, you know, art of seeing type agenda. And right. I kind of like, I feel like a ping pong ball in the middle, but say like too consumer this side and too arty that side. 
So, so it's kind of it's kind of funny, but you know, occasionally you do find people that you can really connect with, and and a photo coach, uh, you Absolutely. know, with you and Julieta and a, and a couple of the others, and a lot of the, a lot of the photographers that were on the EXE that you um, you would have met a, a number of them um, are photographers that I know and have worked with um, mm-hmm. or connected with um, somehow. It, you know, most of them were UK based, so I guess in a sense they're part of my community. Um, but I have lots of different communities that I speak to as well. So I, I have a lot of different hats on, um, sure. you know, how I would speak and make a presentation to a, a camera club, for example, which is lots of those. I don't know if you have them in the States, but there's lots of camera clubs in Britain. Um, yeah, I don't see them which, very much. <laughs> as a really broad brush statement, and uh, they're typically a little bit more conservative in nature. Um, so, but I just have a different hat on than if I was talking with some of my friends that are are, are from art school. But yeah, and the, and the photo coach was the photo coach was a sort of broader. The way that that was sort of came about was really well, it was a slight reinvention of of how photography um, is kind of consumed on a, in a in a cruise ship type environment. Right. But it was about, as you know, it was about uh, enrichment and. But it was a much wider sort of church, as it were, in the terms of the people that we were were reaching. But I think that's what's really nice, uh, what's really interesting about photography is, you know, as a language, um, actually, uh, it's become a lot more accessible, um, especially, you know, with smartphones. And you don't, you know, smartphones are so sophisticated that you don't need to worry about um, f-stops and shutter speeds. You know, you can get a really good shot. Um, And so I found that, you know, with the with the, my experience of people um, on on the cruise ships that would consider themselves non-artists, non-photographers, mm-hmm. um, but just with a little bit of um, nurturing, a little bit of uh, encouragement in some in some workshops, that uh, people can suddenly engage with the world around them in a kind of new and an exciting way, kind of using the language of photography to describe their their experience with the world and and a mobile phone, and without the the need to get bogged down with oh i got to learn about you know f-stops and shutter speeds and the mechanics of photography yeah. <laughs> and and so forth which, you know i kind of like that and you know i think you like it too mm-hmm. and there's you know there's there's a lot to celebrate and enjoy about the craft of, of making a picture but in terms of you know storytelling or or engaging in the world you can you know in terms of light and timing and storytelling you know they transcend really the equipment and and so it's really i found it and i i, I sensed that you did too i found it really rewarding um seeing people you know attending a workshop on on a cruise ship with no sort of inclination to the arts whatsoever um but you see them the next day sort of photographing a a, a something odd and yeah. they're like hey you know <laughs> hey Absolutely. ben i, I now you've got me photographing rusty nails. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, I've had the. I mean, we're teaching the same the same stuff, but I've but I've had the same reaction, and I loved that. And you, what you said is absolutely true. Having it on iPhones and and smartphones is so much more accessible. And people, I think, there's a psychological barrier to the idea when you say, "All right, there's three elements I'm going to teach you about: f stops, shutter speed, and ISO," and then they just shut down. You know, like yeah. that's like okay, it's too much. There's too many things. And, yeah. and I try to we try to simplify it as much as possible. But for those people who aren't interested in shooting on SLR or or um, or mirrored cameras, they have a phone and all they have to do is push a button. And, yeah. you know, getting them to look at things differently is really what we're teaching. And yeah. I have people come back to me, you know, we're, we're doing a cruise to Hawaii and, you know, it's four days at sea or five, whatever it is. So they only have the ship and the open ocean to take pictures of. So they don't have these sweeping landscapes. And they, people come back to me with a picture of the life raft or, you know, like a picture of pipes in the ceiling and just, and and they're so excited about it and seeing them light up over the idea of shooting, you know, the the rusty nail or whatever it is, is really that, that is where the rewarding feeling comes from knowing that they are excited to take an image that other people probably wouldn't see. And, you know, you show it to the, the layman for the lack of a better term and they might not see the value in it. So see, having them see the value and having a camera club where you have amateurs and then what could be described as professional photographers or higher level photographers 
inhabiting the same space and having these interesting conversations, that was just a lot of fun for me. And I got a lot out of it as well. Yeah, me totally. And, and, and I mean, hopefully it's not dead in the water either. Um, yeah, I hope not. And, um, you know, I'm still keen to kind of keep the Fedo Coach um, program going and there's little discussions here, there mm-hmm. uh, about it. Yeah, and, and I think definitely if to evolve it further, I would really, really de-emphasize the exposure triangles and and, yeah. and all that it's useful to have that uh, there's always going to be you know there's always going to be some people that would like to have that information so it's useful to have a, a module on it but uh, i think it's 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 the appreciation of light of composition of learning to see the art of seeing um the storytelling the timing i mean all of those elements which which go to make a great picture are are, are what um are what it's about. And and really, when you hear, you know, the photographers that we heard speaking on the EXE or any of the great photographers, they're never really talking about their equipment. They're talking about the stories yeah, and, the, exactly. and the content of the pictures is what makes it interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure, you get a whole bunch of Magnum photographers in a room, and I suspect they'll all be <laughs> talking about the latest Leica yeah, lens we're going to be that talking about or something we're like that. Yeah. About gear, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because yeah, I think you know, there's, there's, there, there is there is something delightfully geeky and seductive <laughs> about talking about gear, no matter how much I like to dismiss it. Same. Um, <laughs> I I still I still kind of get off on talking about gear and playing around with kit and optics and stuff. But yeah, but but it's not really you know it's superficial to the. Mm-hmm. Um, to, to the process, really. Well, you um, said that you're too artsy for the consumer market and too consumer for the art market. But like, I feel like the fact that you are there in that middle ground is what allows you to kind of be genre fluid and get in yeah, get here, I think to, it here is. and there. And also allows you to be successful and, you know, push in a different way because if you're too artsy, you're not, you know, you're not, you're not it's hard to make a living when you're only doing it yeah. for the art. You, then you have to find another way to build your living. And if you're too consumer, yeah. then you're not getting anything out of the art. So I yeah. think the middle ground is where we live and it's important to to be there. Yeah, I've spent a lot of my kind of working life a bit frustrated by that, to be honest with you. And But actually, in recent years, I, I kind of reconciled it. And I'm actually thinking that's actually a really good place to be. And it's actually quite a unique place to be as well, because there's, there's less people, <laughs> there's less people in it. Um, yeah. And, you know, I can understand the language of this group of people and I can translate it to this group of people and right. vice versa. And, um, uh, you know, I, I kind of beginning to think that that's, you know, more of an asset than a hindrance. And, you know, I'm, I'm a bit older than you. So, you know, <laughs> you know, certainly to make it in the art world, you've got to have a certain sort of pedigree and this list of exhibitions. And, you know, I haven't right. played my cards necessarily the way I should have done. Um, to sort of nurture that pedigree, I'm not working on my PhD or anything like that. Um, but but at the same time, you know, I still you know f- still have a, a, a rich creative life, um, and uh, you know, so if I can if I can speak to both tribes, as it were, um, it's quite a useful place to be. I would say it definitely one of the things is you you definitely see it seems like you enjoy it like you can see the joy you have for photography and for the your creative work and i and i definitely would say that you do have a style that i look at and i can i can recognize so like looking at your images i know i know they're yours and okay. i can't say i've hated any of them uh, like you know <laughs> I, I have varying levels of of interest in each in each one but i appreciate looking at your work and you know examining it and from where you came and you you've worked between film and digital do you still have any uh, love for one over the other do you do you find that you're yeah. leaning toward one in print media over digital yeah i mean well i mean i i just by by virtue of my age i, I mean i graduated with a degree in photography in 1991 more or less simultaneously with photoshop version 1 mm-hmm. um so i mean there seriously was no digital photography when I was studying photography. So it was all, um, it was all film, of course. And I, you know, I had some really good tutors. I had, there was one, uh, well, I probably wouldn't like to call himself a landscape photographer, but there was a photographer called John Blakemore, Mm -hmm. um, who 
he was a great master. I mean, he was a sort of contemporary version of Ansel Adams in a way. His, his, he taught us the zone system and blah, blah, blah. And so, yeah, I still have a bunch of film cameras. Um, I don't shoot a lot of film, although I did process a roll of film a couple of weeks ago, but I, I don't tend to shoot much film. I still have some film cameras. Um, uh, I still love film. Uh, I, you know, it's kind of prohibitively, prohibitively expensive as well. Um, yeah, I mean, the cost of the film, the cost of the process, even processing it at, at home. Uh, I kind of like some hybrid techniques as well. Uh, I'm kind of just mucking around with cyanotypes at the moment, sort of oh, yeah. shooting, digi- shooting digital digital files, printing on um, a contact print film, like a clear sort of a clear to make big negatives and then doing kind of cyanotype prints off that, which is kind of a nice way of working. It's kind of a nice hybrid kind of digital process. Yeah, some of those insect images you've done, right? Yeah. Yeah, I really like yeah. those. Oh, yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, in fact, that's what I'm planning to do for for, for cyanotypes. I, got, I, I became a Sigma ambassador this year as well, oh, really? which was very swanky. Um, and so <laughs> I have a, a new Sigma camera to play with. Um, and it's got a really nice sort of focus stacking feature, which just allowed me to get that real deep depth of field, even with macro. Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, I'm going to order a whole bunch of moths. I kind of got into moths as well. So photographing moths. As far as trends in photography, a lot more photography has been set to the side in favor of video, even like Instagram saying that they're not a photo sharing app anymore. They're a video app. Like they want to be like TikTok basically. So they're favoring video over photo. So do you have any uh, insight in the industry of like where you think photography is going like what do you think is coming next for for photo do you think we're going back to the relegated sidelines a little bit again i don't know i don't really have any industry insight so it's just sort of random <laughs> opinions i'm certainly in delivering content i'm just uh, asking you because know, i want to know what to invest in no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> I, I think in terms of delivering content um you know video is you know a lot of the magazine articles that i write and so forth um I, th- I can see all that sort of migrating to, to video mm-hmm. um, quite swiftly. I mean, you know, but, but the still photograph has something which cannot, cannot be uh, replaced, you know, and the print as well. I mean, there's something just wonderful about a, 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 about a print. And so, yeah. just, so I, I think I'm, I'm conflicted. Uh, I mean, I, I recognise the need to sort of, you know, stay with the times um, and so I am, I mean, I was, I was filming just before we spoke and it, mm-hmm. as a way of delivering content. Um, yes. So, you know, it's an eight minute video rather than 500 words and a couple of pictures. And, and it's a more consumable, uh, easier to digest piece of content that will live, it's for a cruise line actually, which will live, um, I don't know where it will live, on their social media or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely am working towards that and investing in kit and mics and trying desperately to get up to speed with with editing um i really like i i really like um, moving images to, i mean i no, i really like um sort of sequencing still images into moving okay. um into into sort of slideshows if you like mm-hmm. um using various i mean usually i just do it using free apps but i think they make quite compelling um, social media posts for Instagram and oh, stuff yeah. like that. So there's somewhere between the two. So combining still images, but I like, I kind of like the idea of controlling the sequencing um, and the duration at which, you know, somewhat the viewer can look at the picture and also mm-hmm. the, also the facility to be able to add some sort of audio. So mm-hmm. I, I actually quite often carry a little um, kind of pro spec, um, audio recorder with me so mm-hmm. that I can just record ambient sounds and I kind of like to mash them up a little bit and splice them over uh, over these little um, kind of, I don't even know what I call them. I mean, they're sort of somewhere between a GIF and a movie. Um, but uh, so I quite like making those uh, and they're quite quick and easy way to share, share work. Uh, mm-hmm. And I do find that on certainly on social media, they tend to get more engagement than just a still picture. Sure. Which Being is able something to add to audio. Cons- like you said, it, that, yeah. that allows you to give tone to it as well so that like, yeah. you can kind of manipulate the feelings that you want people to, to, to get from it. Yeah. 
you know, so like a recent a recent project, I suppose. I just I'll just show you. You know, this uh, I made this little zine, um, which you know you might have seen. So it's just yeah. a little booklet. You know, it's really cheap to produce, um, but I really like this because it's it's something I can hold and share in a tangible sort of way. But actually, it also it also lent itself really quite eloquently to a little thirty second video piece of video yeah. content, which has video. been quite. Yeah, uh, well, there was a video, there was a page turner, which I did sort of to sell this. Mm -hmm. But there was also, uh, there was also another video I did, which was just, you know, with some sound and it was just a sort of slightly creepy dreamlike thing. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know which one you saw, but. I think I um, saw that one. That, that sounds more familiar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I kind of like the way that, I like the way that a piece of work can sort of be imagined in, in a couple of different ways. Um, and in fact, probably the, the, the way that this is least accessible would be as a, as a sort of fine art print on a on a on a wall, really. So mm -hmm. so you know, I, I kind of like you know this this zine, as it were, is very different from the thirty second video content, but it's essentially the same bit of content, just reimagined in two different ways. Um, yeah. And so I can I can see my work doing a lot of a lot of that um, in in the future. Right, and I and I love that you that you're put you know doing things like you don't, you don't see a lot of zines anymore. I remember there used to be a lot of zines, and I liked. Yeah, in like the punk scene that people would put together zines of like poetry yeah. and lyrics and drawing and, you know, things like that, photos. And you don't see a lot of them anymore. I was a part of them in, in my art school as well. Like we, I would help put together the photo and uh, and writing zine. Like people would write poetry and prose and we'd pair them with photos. And it was just a lot of fun and a good way to get people together and showcase some of your art. But there wasn't really much of a market for it outside of... no. The art school at that point. Um, so I appreciate that you're still doing that kind of thing and putting together think you know unique items like that. Uh, yeah, they they kind of they really um, interest me actually because um, with digital printing as well, it's it's kind of relatively easy and relatively inexpensive. So you know, I did a, a short print run of these. I got you know fifty copies, mm -hmm. uh, which is probably probably a little bit ambitious. I. I I'm not really doing this as a, as a sort of money-making enterprise because, you know, I can probably sell them for five bucks or, or something like that. I mean, they're, they're sort of cheap and, you know, in the tradition of the zine, but I, I just kind of like it. And they were relatively, you know, you know, it's 40 bucks to make 50, 50 zines. Oh, um, nice. So it's kind of, it's pretty cheap. It was really, you know, it was a really easy process. Um, I've got basic InDesign skills from my magazine days. And, um, and I, you know, there's a printer here I use in the UK, which is just very sort of automated. And, you know, it's just very simple as long as you work within the, you know, the parameters right. um, that they have. Um, Especially when you're full I, bleed, you don't have to worry about where the text goes and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I kind of really like that that rough and ready um, kind of feel in the spirit of the old zines, you know, the punk, you know, mm -hmm. the punk music zines and so forth. And it's also a really good way. I mean, this is just, it's not a project that's that's worthy of, of you know, it's kind of fun, but it's not, there's not enough of it to make a book or or an exhibition. Um, it's just, but it's quite a nice sort of set of, you know, uh, 20 pictures or, or what have yeah. you that can just be realized without being too precious. I think there's quite, I think that word precious is quite good. Um, cause I, 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 I mean, I'm guilty of it myself. I can become a little bit too precious about things and actually sort of having that sort of more sort of punk attitude can be, um, and being less precious can be, can be quite liberating in, in, in many regards. We become so sort of fixated on, on, you know, pixels and quality and high yeah. definition and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> So in fact, I mean, the, the nature of this book is that, in fact, the, 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 there's a view of Tokyo, which is which forms the cover. I was just colouring it in for a bit of fun. And as I was zooming in, I kind of started exploring all these little parts of the of the city. And I sort of, sort of imagined these sort of stories. So actually what I did was it, it, it enlarged it to ridiculous extremes, like, you know, like a thousand percent or something, mm -hmm. and then did screenshots and then added noise because it was so noisy and there were so many J JPEG artifacts and it was so yeah, yeah. sort of, the image had become so degraded that I I, I, I just wanted to sort of amplify that really. Um, and I kind of just like the way it looks, but yeah, but it is, it's a nice way to, to realize uh, small bodies of work. 
And actually, I don't know what it's like in the States, but certainly in the UK, I sense that there's a growing, there's a sort of growing sort of subculture in in the photographic world of people producing zines. Um, Yeah, and I feel like it's coming back along with like, with vinyl and people like tactile things again, they want to have physical items from the the artists that they like. And also, I mean, apart from creating them myself, actually, I've started buying them from other photographers. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, you know, um, with income not being quite what it uh, used to be, uh, it's a nice way to um, still sort of acquire some art and contribute to the wider community. But without, without uh, you know, I can't afford any fine art prints. Um, right. You know, coffee table books, uh, you know, at a stretch, but zines are, 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 you know, I can be much more indiscriminate about, you know, I can just kind of buy them. Uh, and, and you know, who knows, someone might get famous and then you've got a first edition zine. That, uh, See, there you go. You know, <laughs> if you had one of the Sex Pistols, you know, first zines from, you know, sometime <laughs> in the 70s now, it'd be worth a fortune, wouldn't it? Right, exactly. And there's got to be some, uh, some up and coming Sex Pistols out there that are putting out zines yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I love that, Ian. I love that you were, you know, pushing those boundaries and doing something different and, you know, looking for, you know, zooming in a thousand percent and looking at the pixels differently, adding noise instead of getting rid of it. So, yeah, I just I, I appreciate the, the vision that you have for these things. You've given a lot of tips already, but if you do you have any rituals that you keep to that keeps you engaged? Like, do you sit down and work on something every day? Or do you have something that you do that goes to inspire you, like going for a run or looking for something every day? Well, you know what, running actually, um, running does does really uh, help my creative process. I think it's, it's a really nice detachment from the digital world. And I try to run, you know, four or five times a week, um, kind of whatever the weather. Uh, and actually, that connection with the with, with the with the elements is uh, you know which can be you know you can have everything in the UK is it, it, actually quite useful. So you know that, that that sort of physical exercise is 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 good. You know I don't have any rituals as such. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know I feel like I'm constantly sort of engaged. Um, uh, I'm always looking at other photographers' work. Um, you know my partner is an artist too, and so we. You know, we feed off each other. Uh, she's a real good. She you know she's a really. Um, that's a that's quite a, a powerful influence too and motivator as well. So, sounds like running is a ritual as well. I would say running is a ritual, especially if you try to do it that many times a week. I yeah. do it as well, especially when I'm in new places. I like to run there because it lets me engage with the natural setting, but also it lets me cover more ground and see more than I would if I was just like, just, just walking in a way, you know, I mean, sometimes yeah. it's nice to be able to stop, I'll stop and shoot things and then I keep running afterwards. And it allows me to kind of immerse myself in a place. And again, I, I like the, that you said it allows you to get away from detached from the digital. Cause I think even yeah. if I'm walking, if I get a text message, I'll stop and look at my phone. Whereas if I'm running, I'm always looking at the trail, the sidewalk, the, the things around me. And yeah, I like yeah, no, I, a... I've seen seen a lot of your pictures, uh, and and they're great. I'm always quite envious of the trails that you seem <laughs> to find yourself on. I have to try to also just when I'm traveling for work, I have to squeeze in the little bit of time I have to go for a run before I start working twelve hour days. <laughs> so yeah, I, I try to get in what I can. Since you brought it up, um, I, who who's inspiring you right now? Are there any uh, local artists or friends of yours that you would uh, suggest to to anyone or promote? Um, oh, that's a good question. Who am I channeling at the moment? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, I, you know what? I'm I'm super excited to see a uh, an exhibition in Bristol, which is a city kind of pretty close. Uh, certainly by American standards, it's probably like a suburb of, right. <laughs> uh, or I, I'm like a suburb of Bristol. Really, it's like kind of twelve miles away. But it's got a it's got a great art center, and there's a photographer there called Stephen Gill, who's a really interesting a really interesting photographer. I believe he lives in Sweden now, but um, he I think he grew up in Bristol. Uh, I really like his work. Uh, he's really experimental. Um, he has a really sort of interesting way uh, looking at the world. So I'm probably I'm tro- probably channeling Stephen Gill at the moment. Okay, great. Uh, and um, I seem to be, you know, a lot of Japanese photography. Um, I'm kind of drawn to a lot of a lot of Japanese photography at the moment too. 
you know, Rinko Kawauchi in particular uh, is someone that's uh, quite a big influence on me. Music too. My uh, Kirsten, my girlfriend, thinks uh, I've got a bit of a man crush on Brian Eno at the moment, uh, <laughs> uh, as I'm. I seem to be. Uh, I seem to be referring to a lot of Brian Eno um, things uh, at, at, at the moment. So his music has always been an inspiration for me, but also his sort of creative processes, his you know his cards, the oblique strategies which he's used as a, mm-hmm. as a sort of creative springboard is quite uh, quite useful. But I'm reading one of I'm reading a, uh, his memoir at the moment, so. I'm probably thinking a little bit about him and, and, you know, he's sort of, again, someone that's fairly genre fluid in terms of, you know, his musical output, but also he's a visual artist and, mm-hmm. you know, political activist and, uh, you know, a creative mentor and, and so many things to mm-hmm. uh, so many different people that um, I'm finding him a good source of inspiration too. That's great. I'm going to have to look into it uh, to him. Um, that made me think of a there's a there's a band that I thought of just recently um, because we were talking about zines There's a band called Touche Amore, which is from I think they're from California, but they're like a post hardcore kind of uh, band that is kind of almost spoken word uh, over very like heavy music. OK, and yep. they but their lyrics are very poetic. And I, I love the way that the, the the singer Jeremy writes. He also puts out a zine every once in a while which is his writing that doesn't like go into his music. And he's also, they're also very activist as far as like black lives matter and things going on in the States. Right. And they, they push all this kind of stuff. And, and I love the things that they are a part of. Um, so it's great to have bands like that. And, you know, artists like that, that are doing disparate things and trying to push, you know, progressive policies in, in their, yeah. in their community and do what they think is important to bring people together in the community. Um, so I'll, that's a quick plug for Touche Amore as well. <laughs> okay, yeah. well, I'll, kinda, I'll, I'll look them up. Sounds sounds like it's up my street, actually. Uh, la- the last uh, question I asked uh, is, uh, how would you like to be remembered? Uh, <laughs> you can take that question any way you want. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, there's a half of me that doesn't really care. Um, I, 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 I don't know, Don. That's a really good question. I need to think about that. You sprung that on me. Uh, <laughs> um, I catch you off guard with that question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to have to come back to you on that. That's fair. That's fair. It, it, it's, it's good. To, it's a good question to actually think about. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, so uh, finally, I just want to say if you, if, do you have uh, anywhere on the, uh, on the internet that people can get uh, in touch with you or find your work and, and get your zine and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, my website, which is just benedictbrain.com, pretty much has links to everything from there. Uh, as email, um, links through to Instagram, which is what I'm really trying to, to push at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. so as sort of one of those things, I've been talking to a publisher at the moment who really likes my images, really likes my words, but is slightly concerned about my Instagram following isn't... Um, where it should be so um it's kind of frustrating that someone likes your words and you're you know to write a book about photography and you know you tick the two boxes about with writing and photography but not the social following so um any any likes on the benedict brain um instagram account would uh, account would would help but yeah there's a little store there where zines um there's a sign up thing for a monthly newsletter um, which I committed to starting in January, and I think I'm just about to do March or April. Um, so it's clearly not very monthly, um, but it's as and when. Um, so, uh, you know, just like to share some stuff on my newsletter. So I can guarantee if you sign up for it, you will not get spammed uh, a lot. <laughs> Quite the opposite. <laughs> no, I'm going to put one out today. I'm gonna, probably going to put one out in the next couple of days, actually, because I, I um, one of the things I did in COVID as a, just as a sort of last thing was um, mm-hmm. I launched, uh, last year I launched Potato Photographer of the Year. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it was actually such a success uh, and we got such good uh, international uh, coverage that I ran it again this year. Um, and in fact, it closed today at lunchtime today. So it's just gone live um, uh, with the winner, which is really interesting. Um, so I will be sending out a, a newsletter with the with the with the, with the winners on stuff like that. But you can find it um, <laughs> if you just sort of Google Potato Photographer of the Year. Um, you'll you'll probably come up with it. I, I've been following that account, and it's, yeah. <laughs> there's so many unique images in there. Yeah, uh, it's funny, isn't it? It is. It is. It's great. 
funnily enough, it was just it was just in one of the other photo coaches who who kind of got me thinking about it. When, oh, really? when everything he had got some guests photographing eggs on the on the on the on a, mm. on a cruise ship on a, on a long you know ten days at sea or something. Yeah, and he got them photographing eggs, and it just reminded me of an article I had done years ago on photographing a potato. Uh, and then, and then COVID happened, it. and I just decided to revive it. I was like, "Well, everyone should be photographing potatoes." Oh, I gotta say, when I look, when I saw it the first time last year, I was like, "I'm not sure if this is a joke account or if, <laughs> what's going on." No, it's a, well, you know what? There is a photographer in California called Kevin Abosh, and he sold a a photo, a photo of a potato he sold in 2016 mm-hmm. for uh, a million dollars. So, hmm. you know. I thought there's an appetite for potato-based photo art. <laughs> I'm going to cash in on it. And Amazing. I did it just to raise money for charity. So, you know, we've raised a couple of grand each year for well, for, um, for some charity. So that's good. Awesome. Um, so, well, yeah, yeah. So, you know, readers of your or listeners to your, your podcast can um, get excited about uh, Potato Photographer 2022, <laughs> which we'll start planning we, yeah, soon. Yeah, we can get, start looking at, at potatoes differently throughout the year. And maybe next yeah. year you'll be the winner. Um, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll put all the links to these things down in our, in the, in the description Thank so you. people much, can that's find much you. Appreciated. Um, if you, uh, if you want to find me on the internet, I'm at Don is finite on Twitter and Instagram, and you can go to my website. Uh, don't worry. I'm finite.com or find me on youtube.com slash don't worry. I'm finite. Uh, the last thing I'll ask from you, Ben is just, uh, say, who your, your name, say, I'm Ben, don't worry, I'm finite. Hello, I'm Ben, and I'm, don't worry, I'm finite. All right, thanks. Well, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I thank had you a lot for of having fun me. chatting, and yeah. yeah, it was good talking to you again. And yeah. uh, until next time, everybody, keep creating. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.